Midnight Facts for Insomniacs. <laughs> I just learned something. Oh, I'm having fun now. I love how places with names like Point Pleasant are always the worst. And this goes back to our thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Honest Eddie's. Nope, don't buy a car there. I grew up in Paradise Gardens over by the toxic waste dump. Which is what explains my 11th toe. All right, Duncan. Yo! I think you're going to be excited about this one. Like, hard nipples excited? I hope not. Okay. Not aroused, just excited. There's a difference. Okay. Cryptids Mark II. Nice! Okay, bring it. One of our most popular episodes was Cryptids. Okay. And we've had a ton of requests to follow up. Okay. And in particular, Insomic Fox. It, who now, Fox? Insomic Fox from Instagram. I believe that was the right way to say it. Insomic Fox? I think it's Insomic Fox. Insomic Fox. Okay. He said you should split it into different countries instead of jumping around. So we will kind of do that. We're going to do North American cryptids. Okay. We are including Canada. Mexico up. Everything above Mexico. Okay. We'll start with the Dover Demon. The Dover Demon. Not quite as well known as the Jersey Devil. Okay. But far more alliterative. Truly. It's 1977 in Dover, Massachusetts. Dover had a dutiful demon. <laughs> Not Dover, Delaware, oh. by the way. That would have been even more alliterative. It would have been the Dover, Delaware Demon. Delaware had a Dover Demon. <laughs> Sorry, it's, it's just all that goes through my head. So not Dover, Delaware, and also not the British Cliffs of. Mm, yes, I know the Cliffs of Dover. I had always assumed the Dover Demon was from one of the more famous Dovers, but no, it's from Dover, Massachusetts, which I'm not convinced actually exists. <laughs> it might be the cryptid of cities. It's just rumored. A cryptid from a cryptid city. It's rumored in myth and legend, but no one has ever been there. The Dover Demon was first sighted at 10.32 p.m. on April 21st, 1977. The 70s, good years for cryptids. Yeah. A lot of cryptids. Yeah. This cryptid is unique in that the entire mythology is based on eyewitness accounts provided by just three teenagers. Okay. That should have been your first monkey wrench in the, in the works there. I don't understand how this actually became a legend. Seriously. Based on that evidence. There's a reason why they seal, in America anyway, they seal your juvenile records at 18. Because they're yeah. like, okay. We know you pulled some shit. Amen. So the first witness was 17-year-old William Bartlett, mm -hmm. who saw the creature while he was driving. And I already hate him because he was a 17-year-old with a car. <laughs> Suck it. But apparently the creature was slinking along next to a brick wall. He described the demon as having large glowing eyes and tendril-like fingers. How the fuck do you see that driving along in a car? Cars are pretty yeah. fast in the 70s still. Yeah, he actually drew a sketch of it. It's pretty much just a stick figure alien. It's on all fours like a lizard. Kind of looks like a gecko with an oval alien face. Mm. Supposedly it had orange colored skin, a large bulbous watermelon shaped head, a super skinny stick like body, which I think was just all he could draw. Okay, so he basically drew a ginormous Satan gecko. Yeah. This kid was definitely not an artist. It's like the kind of picture you would put on your refrigerator if your five-year-old drew it. But if you found it in your 17-year-old son's sketchbook, you would refuse to buy him any more art supplies. Yeah. No more cryptid drawing for you. That same night, 15-year-old John Baxter was walking home from his girlfriend's house when he claimed to have encountered a similar critter, and he produced an equally shitty sketch. All right, so either they somehow knew each other, small town, it's possible, and both came up with the same idiotic design, or... They both saw a random stick figure gecko. <laughs> the next night, yet another teen, 15-year-old Abby Brabham, mm. 
why do they all have last names that start with B? Brabham, Bartlett, and Baxter. See, this actually aids my feeling that they knew each other. They were either from the same high school or like, because remember, you know, in high school, they like, they all call you in alphabetical order by B's or like, mm. you know, they go through that. So I think they it's knew each suspicious. other. suspicious. Yeah. There's something going on here. Athmel Fish. So he reported another sighting and also produced a, say it with me, terrible sketch. Terrible, <laughs> shitty sketch. Yeah. Another so, stick figure gecko. Somehow these three notepad doodles made it into the Boston Globe newspaper. Wow, it was a slow news cycle. Yeah. The official police statement indicated that law enforcement believed it was most likely a hoax. Brilliant detective work. Yeah, really. Just earned your paycheck that day there, gumshoe. People who do give these witnesses the benefit of the doubt and believe that they actually saw something, those people have speculated that the creature might have been a baby moose. While others have pointed out that mooses don't live in fucking Massachusetts. (laughs) Or look like stick figure geckos. Like, why are all these people justifying that Baxter and Babum and... Biggledy and Bobbity and Boo. (laughs) Bartlett, Brabham, and Baxter. Babbled some bullshit. (laughs) Let's discuss the most terrifying cryptid of all. Ooh. The vicious, dreaded, pessimistic, self-pitying squonk. What? Okay, wait. So it's pessimistic and self-pitying. It's a squonk. The squonk is a wrinkled, warty, and extremely depressed creature of nonspecific origin native to the hemlock forests of Pennsylvania. Artistic depictions of the squonk sort of resemble a warty Sharpe. Ugh. It's like a sad, wrinkled potato. Sounds to me like a gentle wart-laden scrotum. Like, I don't know, doesn't sound like something that I've wanted that to see. would make me depressed. I mean, yeah. And, like, cynical about the future. <laughs> the first description of the squonk comes from a 1920 book by William T. Cox called Fearsome Creatures of the Lumberwoods. I feel like fearsome might have been sarcastic. <laughs> and, I'm sorry. I know I'm five, but... Cox describes the squonk. Mm. To me, it's just like, this sounds like B-roll porn. Cox on squonk. Yeah. It's a new segment on your local news. Cox on squonk. Cox on squonk. Quote, the squonk is of a very retiring disposition, generally traveling about at twilight and dusk. Because of its misfitting skin, which is covered with warts and moles, it is always unhappy. Hunters who are good at tracking are able to follow a squonk by its tear-stained trail for the animal weeps constantly. Tears are clear. They don't stain things. When cornered, an escape seems impossible. Or when surprised and frightened, it may even dissolve itself in tears. Does that mean that it collapses on itself and wails uncontrollably and, co- and collapses in tears? Or dematerializes into a puddle of tears? Dematerializes. Okay. Because both were equally pathetic sounding to me. That would make it pretty easy to find if it was wailing. I mean, maybe they just thought it was a depressive. There would be more squonks in captivity if it were that easy to find. (laughs) Squonks in captivity. Just the name alone is just, what? I mentioned its vague taxonomy, but it does have a species name. Mm. Lacrimacorpus dissolvens. Latin for crying body dissolve. (laughs) Scientists get bored too. Word. In fact, there are certain substances in nature that are stable until they are, quote, captured or isolated, in which case they immediately dissolve. Scientists refer to them as, quote, chemical squonks. Are you serious? Like I said, working in a sterile lab environment is not thrilling. You take your joy where you can find it. A chemical squonk. 
I'm just going to start saying this shit around my house and watch my wife just be like, do I need to medicate him? If your wife starts crying, just be like, don't be a little squonk. <laughs> Cry about it, squonk. <laughs> Squonks supposedly have webbed toes, but only on their left feet. Sure. Uh, this is not like something I can respond to positively. I'm just be like, okay. <laughs> That's another reason to be depressed. Yeah. That's super unwieldy. You would just swim in a corkscrew motion. If that, probably just a circle. No, it would actually just push you in a barrel motion, like a twisting bullet through the... Rifling. It would, it would, you'd be... Yeah. Rifling. Rifled for your amusement. Oh, squonky. <laughs> this squonk is rifled for your pleasure. So the squonk is basically the Eeyore of cryptids. Seriously. Or like a woodland snuffleupagus. I'm all wrinkly and can only swim in the corkscrew. <laughs> He's a tragic figure. <laughs> Sad squonk. Oh, squonky. Let's talk about the Mothman. Oh, the Mothman. The world's weirdest and least threatening cryptid ever. Well, no. The squonk is the least threatening cryptid touché, ever. Touché. The penultimate we... most threatening. Ha ha ha. Yes. The... Good. Call back to people won't get it. No. It's, it's another episode. <laughs> Enjoy that edit. That we haven't <laughs> released yet. So no one will get that. Click, click, click. But yes, he is the penultimate most, well, I don't know. He, the, the, he's been depicted as very scary, which is ridiculous. Yeah. November 16th, 1966, Point Pleasant, West Virginia. The Point Pleasant Register published a story titled, quote, Couples see man-sized bird creature something. <laughs> End quote. That was printed in an actual newspaper. No, I, I get that. Verbatim. <laughs> Jesus. All right, so clearly whoever was editing and or contributing to this newspaper, not a college graduate. Or confused. Just, what? What, what did you... Fucking, what? I feel for them. Like, what are you supposed to... People tell you about this Mothman thing, and you're like, what is it? It's a... Can you break it down for me? Like, give me something. Bird dot 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 creature dot 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 something. That's the best you can do. The story went 1960s viral, which means it was reprinted in other newspapers. It became a national phenomenon. Huh. The initial sightings had occurred the day before. On November 15th, two separate couples reported seeing a man-shaped flying creature with a 10-foot wingspan and glowing red eyes hovering above their cars. I'm having a neckbeard moment whenever I hear about these stories. 10 feet is not enough to propel something man-sized. Really? Yeah, not enough. How much would you need? Like 12? Like if you think about any bird that's of any size, it's usually at least triple the length of the i believe you're wrong because if you look at like for instance a gliding squirrel you really only need yeah but that's gliding that's not self-propelled oh i see you're falling yeah. you're not taking off and or hovering oh so you need more than 10 feet to fly right but you could hover or glide with no you could just glide you could glide with less yeah makes sense sugar gliders they aren't flying they're basically falling with direction that's it yeah so they're not even gliding, because gliding you can stay aloft, like vultures glide. Controlled fall. Yeah, it's a controlled fall is really all that is. Quote, six to seven feet tall with red eyes and no head, as if the eyes were in the breast area, and with huge wings. They also supposedly reported that their sense of time was skewed during the encounter, and some of the subsequent witnesses reported dry, gritty red eyes, which would be consistent with exposure to ultraviolet rays. Mm -hmm. At the time, the couples were in the, quote, TNT area, of Point Pleasant, so named because it had been the site of a World War II munitions factory. 
So possible fumes of decaying chemicals that might, say, alter one's perceptions. Also, how romantic. Yeah, who doesn't want to go where explosives are slowly aging and becoming more bloaty? Not just one couple, two couples thought it would be a great idea. You know where you don't go hang out when you're trying to find a lover's lane? The fucking aging arsenal. <laughs> a hovering monster was kind of the best case scenario. Yeah, really. You didn't explode, so... Yay. I love how places with names like Point Pleasant are always the worst. And this goes back to our thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Honest Eddie's. Nope. Don't buy a car there. I grew up in Paradise Gardens over mm -hmm. by the toxic waste dump. Which is what explains my 11th toe. <laughs> what a terrible makeout spot. Yeah. Just Pennsylvania doesn't have a hill. Sightings continued over the next few days. Actually, the next few years. The obvious culprit would have been a large bird. One species that was proposed was the sandhill crane, hmm. a giant, almost human-sized bird with a seven-foot wingspan and red circles around its eyes. Yeah. It's like a skinny, flying tweaker. <laughs> or maybe you have to be a tweaker to believe that a red-eyed bird is a humanoid monster. Yeah, I, I'd say it's weak on either side of the argument. Yeah. Especially since the crane's migratory pattern doesn't intersect with Point Pleasant. Sheriff George Johnson had a different bird theory. He believed that the Mothman was a giant heron that he referred to as a shite poke. I mean, it's better than a shite kick. So it was either a flying red-eyed monster or a crane or a shite poke. shite poke. I'm five. It's cool. Author Lauren Coleman said there is a history of similar lore in the Ohio River Valley. The local Native American tribes had legends of thunderbirds, mm. large birdman figures that were always harbingers of woe. And the Thunderbird is sort of a cryptid. Various versions of Thunderbird sightings have been reported, uh, but I didn't include it because I think it's more of a legend and religious myth. Yeah, it's more of a, yeah, I was going to say it's more of an Aboriginal American myth from the Midwest to the West. It does tend to be included in lists of cryptids, but mm. again, I agree. I think it's more of a religious phenomenon. I'm with you. In December 1967, a local bridge called the Silver Bridge collapsed in mm. Point Pleasant. And of course, this must have been the fault of a flying mothman. <laughs> and not, as it was later determined, the fact that the bridge was carrying far more weight than it had been designed to support and had been hanging in there with a severely damaged eye bar, which apparently is a thing that matters when it comes to bridge integrity. Yeah. <laughs> weight set points of bridges and stuff over there. It's the big metal bar in the middle of it. Yeah. And I'm sure it was corroded as shit. No, no, no. It was a mothman. Oh, sorry. Right. By corroded as shit, I mean a mothman. It was Who was staring at it with its UV eyes. So the legend grew because... Mm, of course. Nonsense. And peddlers of nonsense. <laughs> a UFO conspiracist named John Keel happened to be in the area researching a Playboy article about aliens and began investigating the Mothman phenomenon. Investigation might be a charitable term. Okay. He started collecting crazy stories from crazy people and reporting them as credible. I'm sure with a healthy sprinkling of making shit up. During his, quote, investigation, he received prank calls, I mean uh, prophecies, over the phone and became convinced that aliens and UFOs and ultra-dimensional beings were involved. Which makes total sense. Well, it was super convenient for his UFO article. <laughs> Jesus. Why do people use the prefix ultra out of context like that? It bothers me. Well, you are an English major, so that would make sense. Ultra, the, the most possible dimensions of beings. It doesn't... 
So many dimensions. So many dimensions you couldn't possibly fathom the dimensionality of those dimensions. More dimensions than you could shake a moth at. <laughs> a moth man at, sir. Keel's supposedly true 1975 novel, The Mothman Prophecies, was a giant success and inspired a Richard Gere film almost 30 years later, keeping the Mothman in the zeitgeist. I'm sure The Mothman Prophecies was as popular as the book. I watched it last night. It is trash. Hot, flaming garbage? So stupid. It's like an updated version, and the, the John Keel character, who was this conspiracy theorist, mm -hmm. is like a respected journalist, and he ends up being on the bridge when it collapses, and he's like saving people. Wow. That sounds like they tried to, through plot alone, save this absolute idiocy from itself. And it never shows the Mothman. It's just all very... It's one of those like movies where everything's very vague, and you're supposed to be... Reading into it somehow. Entranced or by yeah. the mystery of it. But since we're already in West Virginia, Braxton County, 1952. Mm -hmm. On September 12th, a bright object streaked across the sky. A young boy named Tommy Heyer and his friends, brothers Fred and Edward May. And now that I read their names out loud, that's Fred and Ed. <laughs> Sounds like a Nickelodeon show. Fred and Ed. Da -da -da. They watched the object appear to crash down on the property of G. Bailey Fisher, a local farmer. I love all these names. G. Bailey Fisher. Fred and Ed, G. Bailey Fisher. It's either a CIA agent or a politician from the South who opposes race mixing. Miscegenation. I don't like it. I'm G. Like Bailey it. Fisher, and I approve this message. <laughs> nice. So the boys run back to the farm, owned by the family of the Brothers May, and tell their story to their mom, Kathleen May. The four of them tracked down a National Guardsman named Eugene Lemon, and they formed an impromptu posse, along with two other local kids, Neil Nunley and Ronnie Shaver. This all sounds just so stupidly far-fetched. Like, what mom would hear her two sons describe this and not just slap them upside the head with a wooden spoon? No, that's not what you do. You go find a bunch of additional children. And a gun-toting wingnut. If you're going to hunt down a monster, you want to bring at least five children along. Well, yeah. The more possible victims, the merrier. The more the xenomorphs can infect. So they all headed to the Fisher farm, where Lemon's flashlight briefly revealed a, quote, man-like figure with a round red face surrounded by a pointed hood-like shape. What? Sounds... A walking clitoris? Yeah. Like a <laughs> penis. Not... Okay. Kathleen May claimed that the monster had, quote, small claw-like hands and a head that resembled the ace of spades. The monster glided toward them. And Lemon dropped his flashlight in a panic. The group fled, but not before they detected a nauseating, quote, pungent mist that left them sickened. Yeah. Monster fart. Monster <laughs> This spade-faced squirrel monster farted up some nut fart. <laughs> Woo, doggy. That just would peel the paint off a footlocker. Police searched the area, but, quote, saw, heard, and smelled nothing. I like how they didn't include the smelled part. Even a monster fart will dissipate eventually. Oh, yeah. An investigation by news reporters the following day revealed skid marks and a gummy substance on the ground. So it was more of a shart. <laughs> <laughs> the so-called Flatwoods monster became a phenomenon nationwide and fueled a UFO panic. Of course it did. So in retrospect, it turns out that on the night of September 12th, a meteor was observed across parts of Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Maryland. Huh. 
As for the creature, skeptics have observed that the description of the creature was consistent with the, quote, silhouette, flight pattern, and call of a startled barn owl. Yeah, yeah. A stinky barn owl. So stinky. A barn owl with gastrointestinal issues. A local man named Max Lockard had driven around the site in an old, oily truck with shredding tires. However... <laughs> they couldn't possibly have been that. However, it was the sharding squirrel <laughs> spade-faced alien. However, paranormal investigators concluded that the track's oily residue and bits of rubbery substance must have been left by the creature and not the truck. Of course. Totally. Word. The nausea was either due to radiation emitted by a UFO or... Indigestion due to stress and fear. And, you know, maybe smelling some seriously atomized rubber. Or some owl fart. Yeah. <laughs> Shart. Remember, there were skin marks. That I'm not letting that go. <laughs> that was just hilarious. That funny. thing's been eating rats all night. And Oof. I can tell you, having a rat-eating cat... Yes. They can be pungent. Indeed. The town has turned the legend into a tourist attraction. Of course. The town sign now reads, Welcome to Flatwoods, home of the green monster. Green? Wasn't it red-faced? I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just trying to look for consistency in the idiocy. My bad. You know, I should, should have learned by now. So I've got to admit I included this next one because of the name. Okay. Have you heard of the Ogopogo? <laughs> I have now. What's an Ogopogo? Sounds like an 80s, 90s era toy from Hasbro. I don't care how scary a monster looks. Names matter. Truly. This is the bloodthirsty monster, Kevin. <laughs> this is the fearsome, untamable Fwangawit. <laughs> it can't be a cutesy name. That's yeah, the worst. Like, no. Beware the cuddle fluff. <laughs> it just doesn't. The bite kills in less than a minute. The cuddle fluff is deadly. Just no. No. Nope. So the Ogopogo is Canada's Nessie. Oh. Okanagan Lake is located in British Columbia. Similar to Loch Ness, it's frigid. It was formed by melting glaciers, and it occasionally freezes during the winter. Many people believe that the legend is based on the folklore of the First Nations, mm. which are the indigenous people of Canada who are located below the Arctic Circle. Right. Above the Arctic Circle, you have the Inuit. Below them, First Nations. Mm. They referred to the creature as Nataika, roughly translated to water demon, and they believed that the creature lived in caves under Rattlesnake Island in the lake, and that it demanded sacrifice in order to allow safe crossing. Hmm. They would often sacrifice a small animal to Nataika before entering or crossing the lake. Though the creature was a lake spirit, it was capable of physical damage. Its primary weapon was its tail, which it could use to whip the water into a fury. It was kind of like a storm demon. Hmm. There's one legend about a visiting chief named Tim Basket. <laughs> T-I-M Basket. Basket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Who refused to make the required sacrifice. He scoffed at the existence of the monster, and when he boarded a boat with his family, the monster whipped the water into a frothy whirlpool with its tail, and the chief and his family were sucked to the bottom of the lake. Makes total sense. Not that the boat sank. At some point, the idea of a malevolent lake spirit was supplanted by the image of a physical monster, serpent-like in appearance, often depicted as three humps protruding above the waterline with a dragonish head. Mm. Can't imagine where that came from. I stole it from us, didn't I? Yeah, I guess Nessie was first. You thieving bastards! 
The name Ogopogo is believed to have come from a song. I could play some before you. Let me. Please don't. I'm sorry, but does this sound to anyone else like an Australian Loch Ness? Like, oh, have you seen Ogopogo? He's staring at the water. A little bit. So in case you didn't catch the lyrics, yes, his mother was a polywog, his father was a whale. I'm going to put a little bit of salt on his tail. I want to find the Ogopogo. Between the distortion and the man's voice, I, I couldn't honestly tell him between him and the plinkety-plunkety of that out-of-tune piano. His mother was a polywog, his father was a whale. That is anatomically challenging. <laughs> I was going to say impossible, but challenging is a very diplomatic way of saying it. Maybe if his mother was the whale and the father kind of swam up there, <sighs> maybe. But a whale cannot impregnate a polywog. It'd probably accidentally eat it. I mean, definitely accidentally crush it. Once again, we're arguing the believability of a cryptid. Yeah, sure, man. It, it's definitely half whale and half polywog. You just got to go with it. Yeah. Fun fact, Ogopogo is a palindrome. Spelled the same backwards and forwards. Okay. Midnight fact. Woo. Some notable sightings. In 1872, Canadian author Susan Allison claimed to have seen the creature. A century later, in 1968, a man named Art Folden captured grainy video footage of what he described as something, quote, large and lifelike in the water. Large and lifelike. <laughs> a subsequent investigation in 2005 concluded that the size of the creature in the video was most likely a trick of perspective and that the animal depicted was probably a beaver. Yeah. When a local tourism agency offered a reward for sightings of the creature in 1980, Greenpeace raised alarms stipulating that the animal must be unharmed. Ogopogo was subsequently added to the endangered species list. Okay, I don't normally ever, 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 ever say this, but that's some snowflake bullshit. <laughs> Are you fucking kidding me? And this comes from one of the more notable snowflakes in the world. Seriously, I'm, I'm pretty much like a neo-hippie when it comes to protecting species and, you know, yeah. being very pro-planet. And that's some ridiculous snowflake bullshit. Yeah, not a great strategy to add a water demon to the endangered species list if you want to maintain credibility. <sighs> Making a mockery of animal conservation, probably counterproductive to your stated goals. Seriously. I'm a fan of Greenpeace's mission. It's just their methods that leave something to be desired. Yeah. There have been a few other supposed videos of the creature, most of which have been explained as probably being otters. So we've got otters and beavers and people who can't tell the difference. Otters occasionally swim in a line and in the right lighting with the right alcohol involved you might mistake a parade of floating otters for an undulating serpent. Yeah, alcohol, or, I mean, remember this? the last sighting was 1968, or at least the last sighting you listed was 1968, which means acid. You're supposed to be the believer here. I'm not. I'm the skeptic. You are supposed to be on board with the Ogopogo. <laughs> what I hear when you say that is you're supposed to be the moron. <laughs> I'm supposed to be the guy with all the brains. You have one job. One job, monkey. One. Let's end on the Wendigo. Oh, see, now this is a cryptid I actually like. Often found around Minnesota and the American Great Lakes. The legend, as many of these did, originated with Native Americans. Yep. There are a ton of different origin stories and details that vary from region to region, but often the Wendigo is associated with cannibalism. Yep. 
In some versions of the myth, a Wendigo is created every time a human consumes another human. Right. That's what you get for being a filthy cannibal. Did you enjoy that leg? Enjoy this Wendigo, bitch. Did you enjoy that leg? Did you? Did you? Was it tasty? Well, that's all you get to eat forever. Now you're Wendigo food. I thought it was or you turned can... into a Wendigo. No, a Wendigo is spawned. But uh, out of the corpse I... or the person who eats the... the... It, there's different versions. Okay, sorry. I'm just yeah. I'm getting that beardy. Nail it down for me. Usually the Wendigo exists to punish some type of aberrant human behavior. It's a morality tale and a scare tactic to keep people from doing bad things. Right. Like eating each other. Most of the depictions of the Wendigo look like a tall-ass, super emaciated and skinny, bloodthirsty, upright deer. Yeah. They're associated with starvation and desperation. They're actually kind of sad, really. Yeah. Until they start eating you. And then less yeah. sad. They're like similar to the squonk. <laughs> kind of sad, but a little more intimidating. Yeah. Less wrinkly and warty. And, and more bloody and fangy. Similar to the squonk, there is a scientific phenomenon associated with the Wendigo. Hmm. In this case, a psychological condition called Wendigo psychosis, hmm. in which people become obsessed with the idea of cannibalism, fixating on the idea of eating people, and constantly terrified of becoming a cannibal. That's a highly specific psychosis. Well, there are a lot of highly specific psychoses. It's an obsessive thought. A lot of people have obsessive thoughts that they might harm someone. And in this case, it's the idea of cannibalism. Here are some descriptions of the Wendigo. It was a large creature as tall as a tree with a lipless mouth and jagged teeth. Its breath was a strange hiss, its footprints full of blood, and it ate any man, woman, or child who ventured into its territory. And those were the lucky ones. Sometimes the Wendigo chose to possess a person instead, and then the luckless individual became a Wendigo himself, hunting down those he had once loved and feasting upon their flesh. Very versatile. It diversifies. He might eat you. Might possess you. you might, eat. might possess you. A little bit of this, a little bit of that. Either way, he's getting in that ass. <laughs> he's bad news. No, not a guy you want to invite over for Thanksgiving. Another description, quote, With its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets, the Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody. Its body was unclean, giving off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition of death and corruption. So basically a guy who had scurvy and probably leprosy mm. and starving. It was like someone from Thriller. You could have a line of them dancing the and it would be very... 40,000 years. be very melodic. Yes. Honestly, the Wendigo, kind of more tragic than scary. He's just super hungry. He's just hungry, bro. He just wants to give you a little nib dip. If you live in the Great Lakes region... Leave out some kibble for your local Wendigo. <laughs> you know what? If any cryptid should be added to the endangered species list, it's this guy. Yeah. He or she really does need your help far, far more than the Oingo Boingo or whatever the fuck that thing was called. <laughs> yeah, I think Oingo Boingo is a band. I know it is. I, just, I don't respect it enough to call it by anything at all. <laughs> no respect for the Oingo Boingo. I don't remember. You see? It's an Oingo Boingo from now on. <laughs> no respect really for any of these. No. You, do you respect the squonk? No, I do He's respect the... the Wendigo, but really only because I do know that it is based on like Aboriginal American myth and it does vaguely make sense. Like if you're way back in the day and you're a spiritual culture yeah. with only oral history, anybody who did 
cannibalize somebody else, especially in times of cold and starvation, yeah. you'd want them to be sympathetic, but you also want people to be avoiding them. Like I said, a tragic figure. And yeah. also, depiction-wise, the scariest of them all. Yeah. Pretty creepy looking. Yeah. It's the only one that seems intimidating to me. The farting owl and Oingo Boingo. <laughs> to me, it will always be the sharding spade face squirrel monster. <laughs> and the Dover stick figure. Yeah. I, no. Stick not, gecko. Yeah. Not scared. No, not even a little bit. So that's why these were Mark II. This was the second ranked. Second tier. These were second tier. Junior varsity cryptids. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But still fun. Still f- super, super fun. Oh, the Wendigo. And by the way, if any of you are fans of uh, Del Toro, uh, what's his name? Something Del Toro? Guillermo? Guillermo Del Toro. He uh, did a movie that is either out or is coming out that was based on a short story that did really well on the internet. You can find it. But it's called either Antlers or something like that, and it's about Wendigos. Did he do the scary stories to read in the dark or whatever? Oh, the the movie version of that? Yeah. I think so. I want to say yes. I think he did. So, yeah, Cryptids Mark II. Maybe we'll do European cryptids or Asian cryptids next. Oh, that would be so cool. We could go after those hopping vampires in, in China. Yeah. All righty. So, once again... We're doing our end-of-the-year push. Come on, Midnight Masses. Tell a friend. Tell a bunch of friends. Rate and review. Rate, review, represent. Um, We have all kinds of merch out there with the brand new logo on them and all the old classics. And, um, yeah, we just we really appreciate all your support, and we would just like a little bit more. Help us make 2020 not suck for us. Or you. And as per usual, and forever after. Knowledge is power. Sleep is overrated.